Hello, and welcome to episode 31 of Cinemazing Chat. Uh, I'm Pablo. And I'm Erica. And this episode, we'll be discussing the 1994 Jim Carrey classic, The Mask. So, um, we had been talking that we had kind of an interesting relationship with this film. Like, um, for me, it was definitely like a classic that had heavy rotation in our household. But I think um, you had been saying that maybe your parents weren't that happy with some of the Jim Carrey movies, or maybe like... Uh, we're going back and forth on this sort of stuff. It's not, yeah, it's more just, it, this one was like Jurassic Park for me, whereas like when it came out, um, it was too uh, scary for me to watch it. So mm. I didn't really like ride the wave of the popularity at the time. And you know, that's really interesting because uh, so this is based on a Dark Horse comic um, written by Doug Manicky. Or Minky, I'm not sure how to pronounce it. Uh, but the actual comic itself is a lot darker than the movie, uh, with some pretty like violent murders. Uh, like the main scene I would uh, compare to is when he's making the balloon animals and like turns one into a Tommy gun and is shooting a bunch of like people punks in the alley. And in the comic, he just kills them. Uh, but in the in the movie, mm. they just like run off. And similarly, similarly, when he's like confronting the mechanics, the like thrifty mechanics. Um, in the movie, he kind of just like, I think he sticks the pieces up their butt or something like that. But in the, in the comic, he definitely kills them as well in like kind of cartoony ways. Um, mm. and just the art style in general is like that very like nineties aesthetic of like, uh, I don't know, the Punisher or, uh, Venom, stuff like that. Wolverine, just like that sort of, uh, edgy, gritty, uh, you know, violent, uh, art that people were really into at that time. So is it comparable to, like, um, the comics for, like, Howard the Duck or Deadpool, where it's kind of meta, but gritty, too? Yeah, exactly. And we were saying, um, particularly with the movie version, that the character himself is very similar to, like, Madman or uh, Freakazoid. Just these, like, manic sort of uh, characters that are just, like, funny and, you know, very self-referential. Or you could even talk about, like, the genie from uh, Aladdin. I was going to say something about that. Yeah, the fighting, where the fighting style, I guess I'm sure there's a name for this trope, but the fighting style is humorous and they're almost using like humor to diffuse where they can. Mm. Yeah, exactly. And you can definitely see that this is like a really like, uh, you know, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde type story or, or the Hulk or whatever type of character, Frankenstein, uh, you know, where you're kind of sublimating your desires, your id uh, into this like wacky character um and meanwhile you know stanley ipkiss himself is like this very meek and mild uh, kind of a spineless character but in this case you know you get like almost limitless powers and as the mask you can't really be killed uh you know you see him get shot a bunch of times and he's fine you know he just he just like spits out the bullets and he's fine <laughs> oh one thing you were telling me that i didn't know necessarily was just or you were saying how it was like the people around him get involved in his cartoon reality or like the mask like warps reality around it and so people can't resist but take part in his gags or whatever right exactly you see various points in the movie where like you know he's in a pretty serious situation like the cops are after him and then he just like you know uses almost like a warping reality field and suddenly everyone's like singing in a musical uh you know the cuban pete number hmm and this is, uh, we should say this is a new line film, uh, which is kind of a subdivision of Warner Brothers, and that's probably why they have so many, like, Looney Tunes references, specifically, uh, throughout the film, you know, he's a big fan of, uh, Looney Tunes. 
that's a question I had for you about the comic. So do they incorporate the Looney Tunes thing in the comic, or is it just that he's kind of cartoonish in the comic? I think it's a lot more generalized, just like he is into cartoons and comic books and stuff like that, but it's uh, not as explicit. Okay, yeah, because it was very clear, like, um, in this one, he's, like, spinning around, like, the Tasmanian devil, and then he has a Tasmanian devil pillow, like, couch pillow, so it's very obvious that they're using this IP for the movie. Yeah, exactly. And we should say that, uh, you know, similarly, uh, we had mentioned about uh, Ace Ventura, the previous episode, that, um, you know, when this idea was initially uh proposed they had been thinking of making it like more of a serious you know kind of dark gritty thing like in the comics and you can definitely see that uh influence still in like the gangster specific scenes um but you know then jim carrey got involved and they uh spun it into more of a comedic thing and i'm even reading here and this is just from the wikipedia um that uh one of their original ideas was to have it be about a mask maker who took faces off of corpses to put them onto uh other people turn them into zombies Wait, like um, Arya Stark? Or no, I guess it doesn't turn them into <laughs> zombies, but... <laughs> yeah, kind of like that. Um, and I think that's because, like, at the time, New Line was known as kind of the house of horror. Like, they were uh, behind the Freddy Krueger movies, and I think the Friday the 13th movies as well. Um, oh, interesting. So they were probably just, like, trying to veer it more into a horror sort of thing, and then eventually uh, they kind of went back to the comic books and, and made it more, like, uh, funny. And again, uh, just like the actual style of the comic, it's very, like, stylized. Uh, you know, he has, like, a grotesquely huge head. Uh, in fact, the other characters refer to him as Big Head. And it's also kind of interesting because, uh, so in the movie, it's, like, basically only Stanley Ipkiss and uh, eventually Dorian wear the mask, uh, and also the dog at one point. But in the comic books, um, Stanley doesn't actually stay around for that long. You know, uh, he has some antics, and he's wanted by the police, and he goes back home. Uh, and his girlfriend in the comics, Tina, uh, actually just shoots him, so he's dead. And then she puts on the mask, uh, has some sort of antics, and so on. And it gets passed on to Detective Kellyway, becomes almost like a Punisher, Avenging Angel-type character. Oh, gosh. <laughs> but, so you can see that there's the core of the character remains, you know, whoever is wearing it. It's almost like he's writing the person, in a way. Um, it's kind of like Baron Somdi or something. Whereas in this one, it's very much like Stanley Ipkiss is the mask, uh, as we know him. That's true. Hmm. And we should also say that uh, when they cast Jim Carrey or or whenever they were writing this, they definitely were making it more, you know, added a romance angle, you know, instead of him just being married to Tina and Tina kind of being like a, you know, a put upon wife. uh, Instead, she's like this beautiful uh, Cameron Diaz character who he's like falling in love with. Um, And I think they also just made uh, the Stanley Epicus character a lot more likable, uh, you know, in the comics he's just kind of like an unlikable like uh you know almost like an incel type character just like very unpleasant uh, and and in the movie he's like a lot more sympathetic uh and and sort of a hopeless romantic yes he's called miss he's mr nice guy self-proclaimed <laughs> <laughs> and apparently um so this is one of the first movies uh besides jurassic park which you mentioned earlier that you know like utilize a lot of cgi and it was actually uh, done by ILM, Industrial Light and Magic, uh, you know, the ones who do all the Lucas films, mm-hmm. like all the Star Wars movies. So that's why, um, in my opinion, like a lot of the effects in this still hold up pretty well. I mean, obviously they're not realistic looking or anything, but uh, in their cartoony sort of way, they still look uh, pretty good. And this is also kind of an interesting time period where, um, for whatever reason, they kept making comic book movies with like their own unique cities. Uh, you know, instead of just being like in New York, like this one takes mm. place in Edge City, 
Um, and also yes. kind of reminded me, like, uh, you know, they show this, like, really uh, complex matte painting to establish the city uh, of it, like, being, like, over-polluted and all that stuff. Uh, it reminded me of, like, Mystery Men, uh, you know, whatever city they had in that one, mm. which itself is based off a comic. Gritty city. Or uh, whatever those other terrible 90s comic book movies were, like um, uh, The Phantom or The Shadow or stuff like that. Hmm. So it was like very important to make a city a character or whatever. Well, this all, yeah, this movie combines a lot of things to make kind of like a unique aesthetic. So we should talk about the aesthetic because it's like, mm. yeah, specifically drawing from Looney Tunes, not just any cartoon. And so like they're recreating like the wolf with like the jaw dropping and his eyes popping out at the hot lady. And so, yeah, it's like Looney Tunes, like, but also because of the era of Looney Tunes in Hollywood and stuff, it's also like the 30s and 40s, like, zoot suit time, and it, like, ties into the 90s revival mm-hmm. of swing music, and so there's, like, these modern 90s swing bands or swing music, like, in the nightclub, mm-hmm. um... Right. So it's kind of noir, kind of 90s. And yeah, I was calling it like acid noir. <laughs> oh, yeah, definitely. Um, and we should also mention uh, the MGM cartoons, which were like the people who made Droopy Dog and that, uh, like Tex Avery, uh, who mm. worked with both with both studios. And they're the ones who made the like uh, Little Red Riding Hood uh, cartoon, which I think the, the wolf is uh, explicitly oh, like referencing. okay. Right, that's not Looney Tunes. That's the te- whatever. Those Tex Avery cartoons, yeah. Yeah, but it's all kind of wrapped together for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, it's all to establish that this guy, uh, you know, has, hasn't. He's kind of immature in a way, but that's why when he puts on the mask, he's not like this remorseless killer or anything. Like we see Dorian become at the end, he's kind of just like uh, harmless in a way. Yeah, compared to Dorian the villain. There's kind of some weird, I feel like, dog imagery or something. Because, yeah, like, the dog puts on the mask, and then there's the wolf cartoon that he's watching, and then he turns into the wolf guy. And what is up mm-hmm. with the wolf guy having sex with, like, a human cartoon lady? It's kind of oh, weird. Oh, yeah, that is weird. <laughs> and I'm more wolf than man. <laughs> I love wolves. <laughs> right? It's just like Jupiter ascending. Um I, no, and you mentioned the id, um, and that comes on the TV when he's watching TV in the scene with the uh, wolf cartoon. Mm-hmm. He's, um, it's d- the recurring character of Dr. Newman, who's talking about, like, the masks we wear, like his book or something. Oh, yeah, the war criminal Ben Stein. Yeah, <laughs> oh, my God. But, yeah. very influential in the Richard Nixon White House. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I guess this would have been just during his 90s rehabilitation as the clear-eyes guy or something. I don't know. Right. Um, or, or when Ben signs money, I definitely watch a lot of that. Oh, right. <laughs> um, but yeah, he was just talking his whole psychology thing is like, oh, we all have our id and our like deepest desires and we wear a mask to do socially acceptable things. Um, so he's talking about the Jekyll and Hyde dichotomy. Or more recently, like the Watchmen TV show. I, th- I think there's some like subplot in that about how the cops wear masks so they don't have to be held accountable. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, so we should have mentioned, obviously, this was like the big breakout role for Jim Carrey. I think this and Ace Ventura and Dumb and Dumber all came out in about a six-month peri- window, like a six-month period, which is pretty insane to think about now since they were all massive hits. Uh, you know, this one made... 351 million dollars off like a 20 million dollar budget which is 
ridiculously successful. Um, and this was also like the big uh, breaking out role for Cameron Diaz. Although, um, I don't know, something about how she utilized uh, or maybe the roles she took after this weren't quite uh, a good fit for her, I don't think. Uh, except for, mm-hmm. you know, the Shrek movies, I think, were the only things that utilized her very well. Oh, yeah. And, like, I noticed she, yeah, she wasn't even um, listed up front in the credits. It was just, like, Charles Russell, the director, and then Jim Carrey. Mm. And and then it goes to the Edge City shot or whatever. So, yeah, she was, this, I think, literally was her, like, breakout role or whatever. <laughs> and she is the daughter of a Cuban-American uh, father and a German mother. Um and I think she definitely downplayed, you know, some of her, I guess, ethnic features or something in her next roles. Like in this one, uh, in this one, she's very tan. Um, so I don't think she's like trying to do that at that point. But like, I think she definitely portrays herself as very like Caucasian or white in her subsequent roles. Mm. And maybe that was like uh, a very 90s thing to do too. people. Yeah. Or just like more recently now people are like, yay, diversity more. <laughs> oh, and the guy who directed this also directed uh, A Nightmare on Elm Street 3, so you can see, like, still the remnants of their idea to make it, like, a horror movie uh, are still in there. So I, I definitely think if Jim Carrey hadn't been involved, it might it might have just been, like, a horror movie or something weird. A scary mask, yeah. Yeah. Well, door- it, I, it was kind of funny, um, actually, there was the duality in the movie between, um, like, Jim Carrey's kind of, like, slapstick life and mm-hmm. sad sack life or whatever where everything's just going wrong for him mm. and then that's like juxtaposed with like this dorian plot that's completely separate and just unrelated to him that's just like serious business like it's like who's running the city this underground crime ring or whatever right and i definitely think that's kind of the influence of like the type of comic book movies they were making at that time as well um you can look back at the 89 like batman movie uh, you know gangsters running around and double crossings and all that stuff uh, so yeah, that's that's definitely I think the impetus of just like Dorian is like uh, you know moving on on this big kingpin's business, uh, so he's like warning him that he has to you know shove off or he'll get taken out. <laughs> and I did also really like his uh, Dorian's number two henchman. Uh, it's this guy who's been in ton of thing, things, Reggie Cathy, who uh, died fairly recently. Uh, most recently, he was in House of Cards is a really good role, but obviously that show's kind of like tainted now. <laughs> Oh, the guy who called him, he was, I like, I'm the doctor, and the doctor's yeah. going to operate and stuff in this movie. Right. I mean, he he dies really early on, which I think is kind of a shame. Um, and there's some other guy who's also, like, a good bad guy with, like, a weird 90s ponytail. Oh, yeah. Oh, and we should mention that just, like, the whole setup of this movie is completely different. Like, uh, in this one, it sets up that the mask might be connected to uh, the, the Norse god Loki um they show like i think there was supposed to be even more of this but like a flashback uh of some sort of battle happening back in the viking era and you know just the implication that this had had like big ramifications back then just like lots of death or whatever and then eventually they locked it away in a chest and like threw it into the ocean but in the comic book he just like literally just buys this jade mask at a like a, a secondhand store or something like that well yeah i don't know i guess i was like oh it makes sense for it to be loki it also reminds me of, uh, did you ever read those Goosebump books about, uh, there was like a mask, like Mm-mm. a haunted mask? Yeah, there's like a series of, of, you know, Goosebump stories about that. <laughs> so just the idea that you wear a mask and it like takes you over or like uh, perverts you in some way. It's mm-hmm. interesting. 
Mm. Uh, but one big thing, so in Ace Ventura, he's obviously also just, like, wacky, funny guy, but in this one, they kind of tap more into, like, uh, some of his lovable, like, lovable loser aspects, uh, Jim Carrey. Oh, yeah, he was reminding me of the liar, liar guy or something. I don't know why. Oh, yeah, for sure. Um, and he always, uh, you know, in this time period, had been kind of towing the line between, like, family-friendly and, you know, uh, sometimes kind of raunchy humor, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, also in the comic, I don't think he works in a bank, so I think that was kind of a whole invention for the movie as well. I guess that was, I was wondering if that was their, they really seem to be into, like, um, pairings or, like, dualities. So it's like, he worked in the bank by day, and then he robbed the bank at night. Mm -hmm. Um, and then there were, like, two women that he kind of had an interest in a little bit. There was, like, the Peggy reporter. Oh, yeah. As well, um... Right, uh, she has a whole column that she published called uh, Mr. Nice or something like that that he that he sent in. Yeah, it's like her column, but he wrote a letter called Mr. Nice Guy, and he's like, no one wants to date me. Like, it would literally be like an incel manifesto if it ha- if that <laughs> happened nowadays. Right, now you can't actually be a nice guy or whatever. You know what I was thinking, though, is it's kind of like, um, you know, a lot of, like, that incel culture can because it's on the internet can like overlap with fandoms and stuff like mm. like weird weeaboo <laughs> shit or whatever you'd be posting but this on reddit like, about yeah this cartoons. is like the this is exactly this is the looney tunes flavor of incel that's <laughs> what i realized <laughs> more harmless <laughs> but yeah um obviously uh carry off in living color was well known for having just like this rubbery like manic energy and face um, so I think it's really impressive, like, uh, they could have had the tendency to go even more overboard with, like, the effects or the makeup or, like, CGI'd his face somehow weirdly. Um, but it really is just, like, basically a latex applique, uh, you know, to his face, and he just, like, contorts it in such a, such a talented way that it really does look like he's some, some weird cartoon character. Oh, yeah, and they gave him, like, big teeth, and he does this, ooh, like, <laughs> thing, <Yeah>. cartoon thing. <laughs> And that's even like that's even more pronounced in the comic book like his whole look is just this giant head with like these huge grotesque teeth mm. and the of course the famous suit mm-hmm. oh yeah so we should talk about like the zoot suits or something yeah i mean this whole movie has kind of like this old school like uh out of time feel and his sure. famous yellow suit is obviously a zoot suit and then there's, like, the whole, yeah, 90s swing revival with, like, the Zoot Suit Riot song. I don't know if they play that in here, but interestingly, one, um, I think it must, I, I don't know which scene it's in. Is it the scene where he's getting people to dance, but he plays a song that's, like, Hey Pachinko or, or Hey Pachinko. That's actually, so that's when he uh, goes to the nightclub for the first time and he uh, encounters oh. Cameron Diaz and they have this whole, like, elaborate dance number. That's when he's dancing with Cameron Diaz. Um, and he, and he like, again, extends his, like, reality-warping field uh, to the band and is, like, having them play this elaborate song. Okay. Um, but, yeah, so I learned through Wikipedia about Pachuco culture and uh, wearing zoot suits in the 30s and 40s, and the zoot suit riots were actually <laughs> racially motivated oh, no. against Mexican-Americans who wore zoot suits. Uh, Jeez um anyways i don't know i just thought that was like interesting that the zoot suit riot song was just like some white guy kind of like watering it down to like a dance song and then this movie was like has him being like or has him has the reference to that sort of that the culture behind the zoot suits but 
than it just kind of whitewashing it with Jim Carrey. And also he plays, he, a Cu- he does Cuban Pete or something like that. Oh, that's, yeah. That song, I don't know. Hmm. It's a very dark backstory for a seemingly innocuous phrase. And again, like I, I know. said, uh, Cameron Diaz herself is like partially, partially Cub- Cuban. Cuban, so. yeah. But yeah, I guess, um, yeah, the Pachuco culture was like a counterculture. So it's kind of sounded cool. I don't know. And I guess between this and, uh, you know, all those horrible Gap commercials, uh, we have to blame for some of that, you know, swing music revival. Uh, I can definitely remember when we were in college, like, there was a whole contingent of people just, like, really into swing dance and mm-hmm. swing music, which was pretty insufferable, I thought. Oh, no, it kind of ruined it for me. So, like, when I saw the scene that we were just talking about with the dancing with um, Tina Car- um, what is Tina Carlisle. Yeah, Tina Carlisle, and he turns the band into like a big band of swing, swing, uh, swing band or whatever. And I was like, oh no, it's just like the people who are just really enthusiastic about swing. And this is a pretty like limited uh, in scope, uh, you know, the places they go. Like somehow this nightclub, uh, Coco Cabano, is like weirdly important to the whole plot, and they keep returning to it over and over again. Uh, and Ipkos's apartment, and the bank, and. Uh, that weird park they go to. Oh my gosh, yeah. Oh yeah, the park was like a garbage heap because I guess Edge City's all dirty and grimy. Right, exactly. Yeah, they have this like uh, bioluminescent effect in the sky. From the methane gas. From the methane gas. <laughs> um, so yeah, the whole thing is he goes tries to go to the nightclub with his fe- friend, uh, Charlie. Um, but then he like somehow misses his opportunity to enter, uh, and then he gets thrown out, uh, by the door guy and also at the request of Dorian, uh, who we should mention is played by Peter Green, who, uh, previously played Zed in Pulp Fiction. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then because of this, his car breaks down because the mechanics are kind of screwing him over, uh, with the replacement junker car. Um, so he has to like dive into a river, finds the mask, and then uh, when he gets back home, he's like joking about uh, Ben Stein, and that's when he accidentally uh, finds out that if he puts it on, he turns into this you know cartoon freak. I did also um, I feel like maybe there was also some like uh, tobacco council influence or this or something because there's like you know his famous catchphrase smoking. And then, like, throughout yeah. the film, I think various characters are constantly smoking. I don't know if it was, like, a 90s thing. But it seemed very yeah. uh, out of place to me now, because, like, you can't show smoking in, like, four kids' films. That's true. Yeah, no, because Carmen, or is that her name? Or Tina, whatever Carmen is. Um, uh, anyway, she's, like, yeah, she's going to smoke at the end, and she has, like, a cigarette hanging out of her mouth. And he's like, no, we've got TNT. I do. <laughs> I remember that distinctly. Oh, so. yeah. Yeah, and then he kisses her and her shoes fly off or something. Oh my gosh. Oh no, yeah. I was thinking of, there's a scene in the end where Dorian's like, don't smoke that because he's like, oh, I'm going to blow up the nightclub or something. Oh, right. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you can definitely see that a lot of these scenes are just like, okay, Jim, come up with something funny. Uh, you know, he wipes his mouth with the dog. He's like getting ready, uh, you know, shaving oh, right. really fast. <laughs> he like runs into the landlady and they have a whole thing with the... Uh, he has like an alarm clock and he's like trying to smash it with a mallet and then she's like shooting at him with a shotgun and he's jumping all around like a cartoon character um and this first like maybe third of the movie is straight out of the comic pretty much but like i said the comic is a lot more violent with it like i think he somehow severely injures the landlady instead of just jumping away um yeah then he ends up in an alley and a bunch of uh you know punky people are trying to like rob him basically 
uh, and said he like makes a bunch of balloon animals and the Tommy gun thing. And then he like goes to get revenge on the uh, mechanics. So again, all of this uh, is very much like wish fulfillment, uh, maybe revenge fantasies or something, you know. Uh, he's tired of getting pushed around, basically, in his normal persona, so now he's going to oh, get no. even with everyone who's, like, tried to mess with him. It just took one really bad day of, like, the car shop scamming him, and he has the loner car that shuts, that breaks <laughs> down and gets all embarrassed in the nightclub and everything. Oh, no. And then he becomes the Joker. <laughs> yeah, I was just about to say that. You know who you're really describing? is the Joker, man. <laughs> yeah. Um, and they actually did cross over. I think this was sort of uh, when the series took a hiatus or something. I don't know if they rebooted it, but uh, they did a Joker mask crossover in 2000. Oh, wow. Um, I think he crossed over with a bunch of characters. Uh, you know, he was really popular as just like a comic book character, comic book entity. Mm-hmm. Oh, I, okay, as far as like, I guess this, I mean, it's PG-13, but yeah, I noticed, like, his boss is named Mr. Dickey, and his <laughs> oh, yeah. land, his landlord is, like, Mrs. Peen something or other. I forget her name, so there's all these, like... Mrs. Peenman. Peenman. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, I think there's definitely a lot of, like, pretty juvenile humor throughout, um, mm-hmm. or even, like, at the end of the movie, uh, the dog puts on the mask and then he starts, like, peeing on the other gangsters or whatever. And you can also, again, uh, go back to Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. It's the exact same thing. Like, uh, instead of instead in that one, he's, like, a murderer. So he's just, like, having the ultimate guilty pleasure. He's just, like, killing people. And then he wakes up and doesn't know what he did. Oh, yeah. Okay, so you mentioned this earlier, but I wanted to bring it up again. Yeah, so before he wakes up and doesn't remember what he did, he the last thing he does in his first night with the mask is he goes to the car, the auto repair shop, and spins around in a threatening way, and then it cuts to nothing, or what? It cuts to the morning. So you're saying it's implied that he's like jamming the t- the uh, car parts up their butts. I think they show in the next scene, like they don't linger on this for obvious reasons, but they like show them wheeling out the mechanics, and there's something sticking out from his butt area. Oh, okay. Oh um, my god. But like I said, it's even worse in the comics, but like somehow cartoonier, like a. Uh, Basically, he has the piece in his mouth, and he's, like, all stretched out grotesquely. Uh, it's not, like, mm-hmm. realistic. It's just, like, comic book style. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, one great joke uh, in the carnival scene, uh, when he's pulling out the different balloons, or he pulls out, like, a condom, and he's like, oops, wrong pocket. Oh, my gosh. When he was making the gun, he pulls out one, uh, a balloon and just keeps it long for a while, and then he's, like, licking it before he, like, <laughs> folds it up into the balloon. And I was like, oh, my and it is interesting like i can definitely see why parents of this era you know kind of hated jim carrey uh or thought he was like a bad influence or something because uh you know he's definitely like got this kind of pretty annoying shtick but it's something that like kids would definitely vibe with just being like look at all this crap he gets to get away with um mm. but yeah this the end of the scene is like he's like i should be a superhero but that's definitely not in the comics at all like i don't think he's yeah. trying to do anything uh good for humanity mm. And then, uh, you know, the cops are investigating him because uh, various pieces of evidence that were left at the scenes of the crime or just, like, the fact that uh, the things that he's uh, getting even with are, like, the mechanic that he left his car with, stuff like that. Uh, And I should mention, so the guy who plays Lieutenant Calloway, uh, I think, was one of the main characters in Animal House, um, but in the comics he's presented very differently, or in the cartoon they did after this, he's more of, like, Punisher-type you know, very gritty noir detective instead of like mm. a kind of a goofy cop. Mm-hmm. 
So yeah, he's more of the world of Dorian. Yeah, exactly. And Jim Carrey or the mask or Stanley like lives in this cartoon world. Yeah, and actually, um, so you know, you can see a progression in the comics. You know, it's a very like uh, not amateur, but like uh, you know, it's not like one of the big Marvel or DC. So you can see how the creators progress as they make the different uh, comic book arcs. Um, I think it was like the mask, the mask returns, the mask strikes back, stuff like that. Um, mm-hmm. And I think I think the one when uh, Lieutenant Calloway gets the mask is actually one of the best arcs. And if they had made a sequel of it, they could have like drawn from that instead of, you know, the terrible Son of the Mask movie they actually made, which I think is supposed to be a piece of crap. <laughs> I dare not watch mask. it. <laughs> is this based on some noir thing like The Shadow or something? What this movie? Or the comic, I guess, or this con, I don't know, this noir kind of vibe that it has. I think it's just a mis- mix of, like, different influences, but um, I think the tone of the comic is definitely pretty different. It's not uh, nearly as much noirish. Okay. Except for the aforementioned Callaway thing. Mm-hmm. And Tina, Tina's a lot more, like, a stronger character. Like, she basically kills Stanley Ipkiss because he's kind of, like, uh, abusive to her. Psychologically, oh, wow. at least. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and this one, she's, um, I guess she's supposed to be very sweet and sensitive, but kind of just like, oh, I have water on my cleavage. Can I have a tissue? And Right. I mean, we, we find out that she's like uh, kind of casing the joint for her boyfriend, Dorian. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's this really obvious like camera in a purse, which is pretty funny. Yeah. And uh, I mean, she could have also been a lot more flat. Like, I think she did a pretty good job with the material she had. Um, you know, she makes an impact, which is why she had a career after this. Mm-hmm. And also, she's beautiful, I should say. <laughs> yeah, I was kind of just like, oh, yeah, she's doing a good job of just, like, looking, uh, looking up like and a cartoon, down in this scene. <laughs> iconic <laughs> like, cartoon the, character. Yeah, this camera just zoomed in on her face. She looks great. <laughs> and this is also this, like, 90s era where they did, like, a bunch of Dutch angles and, like, weird uh, color gels on the, on the lights. Uh, just to get kind of like that cartoony look uh that i think changed pretty fast after that mm. oh and i should mention uh in the cartoon uh, that they made after this and the comic there's this character walter who's just like this like mute giant like golem type character um who's one of the mask's main enemies uh so again if they had made a sequel they could have kind of uh used that character he's just like um like a brick wall basically so he's <laughs> the one person that the mask can't like completely destroy a lack of chaos <laughs> exactly so yeah then he uh he does rob a bank rob the bank uh that the gangsters are trying to do um which ends up with them getting shot by the cops yeah that was actually pretty funny they're like oh okay we're gonna take out our boss and become the boss of the town of the city and then they go to <laughs> rob the bank and then out bust like it startled me <laughs> i oh, yeah. jumped it just like out, but uh, out of the glass door, the mask busts out, and he spins around like the Tasmanian devil. Yeah, he likes to spin around, and he's got big sacks of money. It's kind of funny. And they also made a an SNES game based on this, and you could use like his different powers, that, like map to different uh, uh, controls, so you could like do the spin thing and like do the take off the mallet and smash things. <laughs> it's actually pretty fun, <laughs> from what I remember. There's a hilarious uh, limo gag that I think Aphex Twin ripped off later, where uh, he just pulls up in a limo and it's like uh, abnormally long, like it just keeps going on and on and on. 
Uh, and then he bribes the uh, doorman. He's like, I have my friends Benjamin. <laughs> and Yeah, this time he gets in the club. Last time he got bounced out. Yeah, and he just causes a little mini riot. A zoot suit riot. Oh, <laughs> oh my god. Um, and yeah, also he said his other phrase that I remember, but all he says smoking more, but he also says, mm. ooh, somebody stop me. <laughs> right. Oh, uh, there was this hilarious interview I saw pretty recently. Uh, it was like Jim Carrey uh, on some night show, and they're like, uh, say one of your iconic lines in the dramatic way or something like that, and that was the line they chose. And he was just like, somebody stop me, which is like scary and sad. <laughs> what has science done? Stop me. <laughs> Please stop me, God. Yeah. So then you get the, the wolf scene, which is uh, still pretty memorable, and the big dance number. Uh, which a lot of it was just like practical dancing. You know, they probably switched out the actors for professional dancers or something. Oh, and then uh, Dorian confronts him and he's like, where's my money? And he pulls out like an accountant hat and starts like tabulating all the things he spent the money on, (laughs) which is a great gag. Um, And there's a hilarious like uh, he gets he's like pretending to die as various different characters like he turns into a Russian guy dancing or something and then he turns into a cowboy and then he's like uh, doing this like overly dramatic death scene. Uh, so he can yeah, do, like... he's doing melodrama and being like, oh, oh god, I'm dying. <laughs> yeah, so then they can give him the Oscar and he like references the Sally Field like you like me, you really like me thing. All right. <laughs> and there's a lot of like meta like fourth wall breaking stuff in this. Which again mm-hmm. reminded me of like Robin Williams as the genie, just like making all the references to everything. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, I wrote down, uh, so then eventually the cops arrive and they arrest Dorian. And as they're, uh, you know, patting him down, he's like, you're giving me a Woody here. <laughs> and I'm like, wow, they must have cut that for the TV version. Oh my god. I don't remember that line. <laughs> but, oh yeah, one of my favorite juxtapositions, I think, was when they had the big band music with him dancing with tina Mm -hmm. uh and the people like the doctor just got shot and there's like dorian and they're in the upstairs room of the club all being all serious yeah it's all dramatic for them but it's like (laughs) i have to almost wonder like i have no idea how this was filmed but i almost wonder if they shot some of those scenes first like uh and that's why the tone is so different and then got jim carrey on board and had to kind of like readjust Mm. Well, it ended up being kind of funny, at least for that, where they're just, like, trying to seriously rob a bank, and then the mask will not let them have a serious moment. Yeah, I mean, it just seems to me that there's, like, uh, there's a lot of ways this movie could have easily gotten, like, gone really badly, but somehow just, like, the mix of everything, like, ended up really, really good. Um, I don't know, maybe it's just, like, random luck, kismet, or whatever. But, yeah, so now it's, like, both the cops and Dorian's group are after the mask because the cops think he's part of their crew and Dorian's mad about, they want the money back. He had a whole heist planned out. Oh yeah. And then he needs, he, um, Stanley needs to know about his rights and not letting cops barge into his apartment because (laughs) he leaves a piece of his PJ fabric at mm. the nightclub and then the cop remembers that he was wearing that when he was interviewing the landlord mm. and so he's like busting in his door the next day it's also kind of a cool idea that like um oh this reminded me of wandavision actually that like with his powers uh it incorporates actual materials that were available so like his suit is made up of his pjs he's transforming his pjs as well as himself 
Oh, I was just, this is kind of related to Dungeons and Dragons because I was just looking up how, we had to look up how the wild shape for druids works. And it's like, I think you're able to choose all the options. You know, do you want your clothes to transform with you and become part of your transformation? Do you want to keep something on you? Like maybe you're a bear and you have like a bag, your bag is still with you or something like that. Mm. Or do you just want to drop out of the clothes or whatever? <laughs> oh, I see. Yeah. Is, yeah. <laughs> But yes, in the mask universe, yeah, he gets his tie shot off and it turns back into the PJ fabric, so. Right, that's right. His PJs were rearranged into his outfit. Sorry, I'm just reading this trivia. Uh, apparently producers hated the Cuban Pete musical number. <laughs> they thought it was oh, too no. long. But then everyone who saw it was like, this is hilarious. So they kept it in. And that just goes to show that, you know, producers don't know what they're talking about usually. Yeah, I think people probably like uh, comedic relief and a musical number uh, is nice. Since it was like good with the pacing because he had been running away from the cops and then it, he's like hits a wall of cops and then it's like, oh, that, yeah, let's do a musical number and then sneak out. Right. It's the juxtaposition that makes it funny. Mm-hmm. Or like taking the piss, as the British would say. <laughs> like taking the air yeah. out of the situation. Mm. Oh, and I also wondered, uh, I wonder if Jim Carrey actually does like animals, like generally, because, you know, he worked at Ace Ventura with all these animal actors, obviously. And this one, he's like, uh, you know, working with the dog from Frasier, I think. <laughs> Maybe also it's Wishbone, I'm not dog. sure. <sighs> yeah, the, the dog is honestly one of the MVPs of the entire movie. Yeah, this dog actor was superb. The dog actor had to know how to jump. Because there was a, his whole thing was like he jumped on people and then he had to jump up into the prison bars to sneak in. And then also he was fetching keys. That was his other talent. He was a very talented dog. Yeah. And like later, I assume that somehow they had to have him also act as the mask dog. Like just to have Oh, that's right. (laughs) Yeah, his was obviously like a CGI head, but they had to have the dog run around and do stuff. And probably with something green on his head. (laughs) Oh, man. And Jim Carrey only made $450,000 off of this, which, I mean, is a lot for him, but he probably should have gotten Nowadays, it seems like nothing for an actor or something. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, uh, Ipkiss keeps showing up late to work. Uh, you know, like previously, Dickie had shouted at him for like being 40 minutes late. Now he's an hour late. Um, and he mm-hmm. actually shouts back at the boss. So it's kind of revealing that he's like suddenly taking on more of the mask personality, even in his like waking life. Yeah, he's becoming an alpha. He's becoming a, <laughs> a sigma male with that grind set. Right. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> becoming an a-hole. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's kind of interesting because it's like the mask character being invincible is able to just use humor to diffuse, but it's like Stanley becomes more aggressive. and just, It's like people... It is kind of true, I guess, in real life that Maybe people sense weakness or something, because there's kind of like a pecking order of people. You know, this is the thing that's always, like, troubled me or, like, bedeviled me or I've never been able to figure it out. It's like, yes, you should be confident, but only up to a point, because then you do become, like, an asshole douche, like, alpha whatever thing. Mm-hmm. So I don't know how do you split that difference where you just, like, are able to stand up for yourself, but, like, not be a jerk. I guess you just have to have, like, good ethics or something. Yeah, you have to make decisions on a case-by-case basis. I mean, it's kind of the nice guy, like, problem. I don't know. Mm. So, yeah, after this is the big scene with uh, Ben Stein, where he's, like, asking him about masks and all this stuff. And Ben Stein's just like, I think you need serious psychiatric help. 
Um, and he like <laughs> tries to put on the mask, but it's the day, so it doesn't work. And he's just like doing this hilarious like pantomime, just being like, like oh yeah, to, it's transformed. Yeah, they have like Binstein have his completely like deadpan, um, deadpan face while Jim Carrey's like, Ooh, like <laughs> fake transforming. <laughs> and I assume they had tried to make a sequel to this at some point, but they weren't able to get Jim Carrey. I assume. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, and so then um, Doctor Newman says he's like, "Will you leave if I give you the advice you want or whatever?" So he says, "Go as yourself." And to meet mask. Tina and as the mask, they are both one and the same beautiful person. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, the overall message of this is like, don't be a pushover. Like, stand up for yourself when you need to, obviously, which is somewhat good, I guess. Gosh, it's kind of the same message as um the Doctor Doolittle movie we discussed, because it's like, don't you know hide yourself or what? Don't hide for people or whatever. Oh uh, yeah. Don't conform hmm. to society standards. <laughs> They were all trying to do Generation X uh, reality bites, like, disaffected, like, stand up to the man. <laughs> oh my gosh. So yeah, then after this, you do get the big uh, park number. Uh, and the sequence obviously riffs heavily off, like, Pepe Le Pew. Uh, you know, he's just, like, first he's... French stereotype. Yeah, uh, first he's, like, telling Tina that uh, the mask is his old college roommate, and then he kind of, like, runs off and comes back as the mask and is just, like, super horny. <laughs> Oh, yeah, he's always doing that where he's just lying. They'll be like, oh, do you have the money? And he's just like, oh, no, what money? Or I don't, yeah, did you see this? And he's like, oh, what? <laughs> he, right. Or um, he's like, oh, I'm hard of hearing or something like that. He just comes up with some lie. So he's like, oh, the mask is my old college buddy. <laughs> right, so his old college buddy. And I taught him some dance moves. <laughs> some weird mutant. <laughs> yeah, oh, my God. Yeah, it is kind of unbelievable. It's like Stanley's not that his awkwardness isn't that charming why does she even like him but i guess she's easily impressed considering dorian is horrible right i mean she's like with a literal monster so any (laughs) anyone who shows her some kindness is probably like an upgrade she's like oh i love a nice guy yeah um oh and here's another one of his iconic lines which isn't even a line it's just him going ha 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 in like a annoying way yeah Yes. Oh, wait, but I just thought, I just remembered, there's a scene where she has to, like, or she tries to get away from Dorian, and he's all, like, holding her prisoner and stuff. Um, Right, I mean, I I think if we read between the lines, it's definitely, like, physical abusive relationship, for sure. Right, but then it's, like, um, Stanley has the mask, she has to kick him in the groin to get away, so that's kind of creepy. Oh, yeah, I mean, he's very, like... Uh, I don't know, me too. He just, like, wants to have sex with her, basically. Right. And doesn't and doesn't necessarily care if she wants to, which, I mean, like, you can see why he needs to, like, get away from the mask eventually. Yeah, yeah. Because it's causing him to do these horrible things that he wouldn't do if he was in his right mind. Mm. But yeah, uh, yeah, I meant to say that the last two-thirds of this are basically, like, completely invented for the movie and not, like, reflective of the comic very, really at all. So yeah, then the cops arrive, uh, so he has to run off. Um, they make a one-armed man reference, uh, and they are, uh, and he's like, does anyone have a camcorder? Which is referencing the Rodney King thing, which is another mm. pretty dark reference. Yeah. Um, and yeah, he's like, they're like searching him, so they're pulling all these stuff out of his pockets. Um, by the way, various things that kind of are like from the Dark Knight as well, uh, now that I think about it. Like in the Dark Knight, the Joker's against the gangsters and like taking their money. 
and they also oh. similarly pull stuff out of his pocket. Uh, huh? and, and the funniest for, by far, uh, so they pull out a bazooka, rubber chicken, stuff like that, and then one of it's a picture of Calloway's wife in like a lingerie. <laughs> and he's like, <laughs> yeah. what are you doing with this? And he was like, I don't know, she seemed into it or something. Yeah, I was like, kind of You married her. Funny. I, don't I don't remember exactly what the line is. Oh my god. You should know, you married her or something like that. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, so then he runs off, uh, and he thinks he's escaped, and he like locks the door up all heavy duty and turns around, and there's like an entire SWAT team like aiming their guns at him. <laughs> right. Yeah, and I definitely think the Cuban Pete number is like one of the standout moments from this film. Uh, just like uh, I think the lady cop who's singing is probably a professional, trained uh, singer. Mm, it's like the Beetlejuice dance number scene where they're possessed or something. They have to dance. Yeah, actually, it's very similar to that. Um, <laughs> and I assume Jim Carrey was singing as well, and he's very good. Oh, his his eyebrows are pretty funny while he's all doing his eyebrows, oh, yeah, he's like, singing and what dancing. What am I gonna yeah. do? <laughs> Oh yeah, and lots of good antics of him like spinning around light poles and like jumping on like seesaws or something like that. Yeah, he ends up doing like ridiculous, exaggerated swing dance type moves. <laughs> and starts out that he's just the only one singing, but he like draws the other cops into it until it's like a full blown musical number with them like mambo mamboing around, and then he just like runs off while they're like preoccupied, pulls mm-hmm. off the mask, uh, and we should say that whenever he puts the mask on or takes it off, it's slightly horrific, like presented in kind of a scary way. It's like the music or how they do it. Yeah, it seems like it's like sucking Painful. onto his face and he's like, ah! <laughs> yeah, it's like a gross transformation. And then uh, the reporter shows up, Peggy, and he like jumps into the car and they drive off. And they're having the conversation again about nice guys. Uh, but then, of course, she betrays him. Yeah. That was kind of funny, though, because she was being like, oh, you're the only you're the only person you need or something. You're enough. And he's like, wow, Peggy, do you really mean that? And then she's like, no. <laughs> And then she's like, what took you so long to get here to Dory? <laughs> I've had to flirt with this guy. It's terrible. Yeah. At least she got the $50,000 and got out of there, I guess, and we never saw her again. <laughs> Although there is a much darker deleted scene where uh, Dorian actually like throws her into a newspaper press, uh, so she gets oh. killed. But uh, I guess they took that out for obvious reasons. Yeah, I'm glad they just, because that's what I was worried. It's like, oh, if you do a deal with that person, you're probably going to get burned. A but... deal with the devil yeah so yeah then dorian does get the mask uh and they do this kind of ominous effect where a bunch of thunder clouds are like gathering above him uh you can almost think again about the norse gods thing as he transforms yeah he gets a different transformation and one really weird thing is that uh it isn't the same actor it's not peter green uh playing this uh you know evil mask or whatever it's like a bodybuilder or something with like this huge neck and like really warped features um, but again, like I said, uh, in the comic, it would have been like sort of the same character, just like with a different, uh, I don't know, backstory or something. But this one's obviously a completely different thing, like evil, genie sort of thing. <laughs> I like the line uh, I wrote down, Ip kiss your ass goodbye. Yeah, I kiss your ass. <laughs> they like dump him on the cops and he has like this uh, cheesy looking latex uh, green mask in his pockets. So they're like, oh, you're the mask Oh, yeah, they, like, for some reason, Dorian conveniently agrees, or decides not to kill him. They're just like, oh, the police want him, so we'll just turn him in. I'm like, well, you could have just killed him and then turned in the body or something like that. Yeah. Oh, this is kind of gross. I'm just reading that Jim Carrey was 31 when this was filmed and Cameron Diaz was only 21. Oh, gosh. (laughs) Yeah. I guess that's pretty normal in Hollywood. Or or now it's, like, Ryan Reynolds with uh, his actual wife. Oh, Blake Lively? 
thinking of like the green lantern where they were cast as uh, romantic people oh yeah there was the when he gets passed to the cops it was kind of funny with the lieutenant or character or whatever was being like sarcastically being like oh stanley itkus is going to fall right into my lap and then he <laughs> literally gets thrown on him <laughs> and they're like a beautiful lady is gonna fall right into our lap or whatever <laughs> yeah dollars they, they do like a contradictory line or whatever where it's like oh did you really mean that no not at all <laughs> or like oh sure this is gonna happen and then it happens <laughs> right exactly <laughs> So then um, I guess they have to go back to his apartment to get the mask itself. Uh, and Milo the dog notices and follows them back. So then he... Uh, oh, they're getting prison. the bank money out of the oh, right. apartment. Yeah. Oh, okay. But yeah, the dog is so smart. The dog like sneaks by them, recognizing that like something's wrong with, the, with Stanley. Yeah. Oh, and we should mention that throughout. He also, um, in addition to all the co- comic book or cartoon character references, he also references like Clint Eastwood, like does the Do You Feel Lucky Punk line, and also references like Elvis. He turns into Elvis briefly. Um, so, you know, referencing actual people as well. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. I think the, um, well, I guess that's, we haven't quite gotten there yet, but the line where he says something like, that's a spicy meatball, which another <laughs> line people said a lot. <laughs> yes, definitely. <laughs> Or I think uh, people like sang the Cuban Pete song a lot. Like, I remember people doing that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like, mm-hmm. we can't really remember exactly about the impact of this film when it first came out. It was, like, he, uh, like ginormous. Like, I think mm-hmm. it probably came out in the summer or something. It was, like, must have been one of the big hits. Mm-hmm. So then Tina visits him in prison. And he's, like, explaining that the mask brings out your innermost desires. So if you are a lovesick romantic, you become, like, this sex-crazed maniac. And I was also somewhat reminded in that scene of kind of like the uh, Tobey Maguire, Spider-Man, uh, Mary Jane dynamic, and then the sad sack loser and the, you know, hot girl or whatever. <laughs> it's kind of similar in a way. But she tells him, Tina says, it was the guy inside the mask all along that she liked when he's in prison. Right. Not the creepy guy who's forcing himself on me in the mask. <laughs> <laughs> It's also kind of funny that the mask is so well known for wearing that like yellow suit zoot suit because he actually wears like a bunch of outfits throughout like uh, he wears a like a smoking jacket and other various things mm-hmm. like whatever uh, character he's referencing he he wears like a gangster outfit at the end so then of course he's like telling the dog to like help him get out you know the big cheese keys thing yeah the dog gets a whole bit of acting here where it's like um, the dog is like breaking into the jail and then like jokingly like mishearing him say cheese instead of keys and yeah the dog as a whole and they actually stole this joke i'm I'm just realizing they stole this joke for guardians of the galaxy 2 uh where Groot has to find like this specific thing and he keeps like bringing random other crap oh my god you're right (laughs) oh i wrote down all he has to do to escape is murder a cop because he like pistol whips this cop on his way out and he, like, uh, you know, is pointing a gun at Callaway to get him out of the station. And there's one funny joke where uh, he's, like, prepping the toilet before he's able to escape. Like, he's, like, worried about having to poop, basically. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's, like, gingerly putting toilet paper around the edge of it. Right. So at the same time, uh, Dorian kidnaps Tina on her way out. And it's, like, bringing her to the club where there's, like, this big function with, uh, uh, I think the guy's name is Nico, the big crime boss. I guess it's Greek or something. Um, so they're doing, like, a benefit with all the, like, the mayor and everyone. And that's where he's, like, setting them up to, I guess, blow things up. 
Yeah, he's, it's Nika's club. He just is going to blow the whole thing up, including Tina and, I guess, anyone inside. Which uh, doesn't really make much sense, but I guess he's insane at that point, so... Makes sense. <laughs> it doesn't make sense that his henchmen would, like, go along with everything. Mm. Well, I guess they have to now that he has the mask. They can't just. Oh, yeah, they're him. scared. There's some stupid uh, pig Latin joke as um, Stanley and Kellaway are exiting... Uh, Callaway's like talking in pig Latin to Doyle and he says like later day or something like that. Oh yeah, there's like the like, Doyle's bye. like a minor character. Um, just like a dumbass. Yeah, but he's actually like wait, he's actually really smart because he's just like, oh, you know, this mask looks like more extreme than just like a latex mask. Like he's basically like calling things the whole time and the and then his boss, oh, yeah. the lieutenant guy's like, ah, oh, shut up Doyle or whatever. Shut up Doyle. <laughs> <laughs> I think you mentioned this earlier, but uh, this movie was um, up for best visual effects, but it lost to Forrest Gump for, uh, you know, inserting all these historical figures into scenes with Forrest Gump and uh, also taking away the that one guy's legs, Lieutenant Dan. Oh my god! So many lieutenants that year. Yes. <laughs> and a lot of other, other actors apparently were considered for this role. Um, I'm just reading on IMDb. Uh, Mike Myers, Robin Williams, John Ritter, Keanu Reeves, Martin Short, Rick Moranis, Steve Martin, Matthew Broderick. So, you know, all the, like, funny guys at the time. Wow. My God. I mean, it's just impressive that they had thought there was so much potential, but I guess, again, this was the era when comic book movies were first becoming popular, uh, and then they took a break and came back with the X-Men. Oh, so um, when Dorian first enters the club, uh, you know, they're, like, shooting him a bunch of times, um, and then he, like, sucks up all the bullets out of his wounds and is, like, spitting them out like a machine gun, which is pretty scary. Yeah, his flavor of the mask is, like, not very cartoonish, but that was his, like, one little trick he kind of did. <laughs> yeah, he's more, like, demonic or something. Mm-hmm. Or maybe, like, Venom. So then uh, Stanley is sneaking in with uh, one gun or something to try to save Tina. And Tina, meanwhile, is tricking Dorian. Uh, she's like, uh, I want to have one more kiss with Dorian. She's like, I'm, I said the real Dorian or whatever <laughs> that Magneto meme is. Yeah, actually, she kind of saves the day because she gets him to take the mask off. Yeah, and he's like, I'll do anything, or like, uh... I'll give her one last one thrill. Yeah. <laughs> something, yeah, a final thrill or something. Oh my god. Even though uh, she obviously hates him. Yeah. Um, and it is also funny that Stanley gets uh, caught immediately. He's like, uh, time to leap into action, and then someone's just like pointing a gun at him and just like, get up, Stanley. Right, yeah, it's like he, um... Somehow he ends up in hand-to-hand combat with Dorian, like, he has to actually fight him as Stanley. Oh, yeah, and he's like, I'm winning, and then Dorian easily, like, overpowers him. (laughs) Oh, another funny thing was he just had an extra gun from the lieutenant, and he, like, gives it to his friend Charlie, and he's like, get people out the back Uh, or something, and I was like, like, Charlie knows what to do, okay. But I guess he presumably... But he did, he confidently (laughs) did that somehow. (laughs) Go, Charlie. Now I have my own confident moment. Yeah. So yeah, then uh, the gangsters are all going to shoot at him, so he leaps behind the bar and transforms again, uh, and then comes out in his gangster outfit and is like drinking some whiskey or something, and all the bullet holes are like pouring out the liquid. It's probably also yeah. a complicated effect, actually. Oh, true. Yeah, it did have good effects for 94. Um, but yeah, it was if not for his team of Tina tricking Dorian and then Milo the dog getting the mask and passing it along to him. He would oh, have not succeeded. Right. That's what happens. Yeah, Milo gets the mask first and there's some like antics with him at w- w- Yeah, a dog antics. Face, and then he Yeah. Back. It's 
like, oh my God, what happened to you? <laughs> um, and then ultimately, yeah, once he gets the mask on, he gets to defeat Dorian by, um, oh, well, I thought it was kind of funny. I think he scares off the other um, criminals or whatever by having a fake gun that just has like bang. Oh yeah. Um, <laughs> he like pulls like, out flags. all his guns. Yeah. Which is also a Joker thing, by the way. Oh, interesting. And then, yeah, very Looney Tunes thing was he took a paint palette or whatever and, like, paints a, f- a flush handle on a tree oh, yeah. or something, and then he flushes Dorian down the drain. Very uh, Roadrunner cartoon, like Acme. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah, so Dorian doesn't even die, necessarily. He just, like, gets flushed out somewhere, presumably. Right. The basement or something. Oh, I did also like the line, uh, so when he's just fighting, Dorian asks Stanley, uh, he's like, well, I hope you can enjoy it with one friggin' eye, and, like, pokes his eye out or something. Oh my gosh, yeah, he's doing the Joker move with the pencil. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Showing you a magic trick. (laughs) Oh, no. Yeah, essentially because of the public nightclub scene, Stanley's name is, um... Like, he's uh, proven to not be guilty because everyone in public, including the mayor, thinks that Dorian was the mask the whole time. Oh, yeah, so he gets off scot-free. Mm-hmm. And everyone saw Stanley being brave or whatever. Yeah, the mayor or some... some yeah, the mayor's like, uh, that's just an American with balls of steel or something. <laughs> right? Actually, I kind of liked... Um, the cop kind of gets a comeuppance at the end because he... Um, he's wrong. Yeah, he was wrong, and he he bumps into the mayor and makes a fat phobic comment about the mayor's size, and before realizing he's the mayor. Oh yeah, he's like out of my way, fatso, or something like that. Yeah, and then the mayor's like, "What the hell?" And then um, the mayor's like, "No, no, uh, it was Dorian who was the mask all along. You're wrong." And then I want to see you in my office. Oh, and he says something like, "Don't you dare bother that dog!" Like he protects the dog. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> So that was kind of funny. <laughs> it's just kind of ironic because they like end things up so neatly in this one, you know, they tie everything up, like happy ending. But like I said in the comics, like um, there is actually a pretty de- developed storyline about how the mask gets passed on to Tina and then Calloway. Um, so I guess if they had gone for the darker version and maybe they'll reboot this in a few years or like it's a TV show or something, uh, it would have had like a natural progression instead of, uh, you know, uh, Tina goes off with Stanley and Calloway presumably is fired. Yeah, way more uh, kid-friendly or whatever, (laughs) PG-13. But I guess that's the difference between movies and cartoons or comic books. You know, those have to be more episodic, and this has to be like one self-contained storyline at the beginning, middle, and end. That's true. Um, So yeah, then the ending itself is very, uh, I wrote Casablanca-esque for some reason. Uh, Just like happy ending, uh, people kissing at the sunset or whatever. And he says smoking in the middle of their making out. Oh, yeah. <laughs> He's like, this is my new catchphrase forever. <laughs> <laughs> I'm always going to be smoking. Thanks to right. the, uh, smoke, the tobacco council. He looks right at the camera. Yeah. Smoking is great. <laughs> um, and then there's one last funny gag, which is uh, he throws the mask back into the river. And then immediately Charlie and Milo the dog are like fighting in the river to get it. Right. <laughs> Implying the mask will definitely live on. <laughs> Oh, and we should also say that um, the music in this movie are, is all very good. Like, uh, you know, the different musical bits that we mentioned and then just like the score itself is pretty good. Yeah, I don't mind the uh, swing songs and all that. 
Yeah, I would say it's just a little, it's just unfortunate, of course, that like, yeah, the way they handle the women is basically back to the 1930s and 40s. Right, kind of regressive. <laughs> but yeah. I mean, I think we as the audience are supposed to know that the way he's acting isn't right. Mm, like that would true. be the difference. Like it'd be like, oh yeah, she is a hot lady back in the 30s to like, oh, he shouldn't be treating her like that now. Mm-hmm. That yeah, we're looking any. at it with our modern lens, I guess. Oh, and, and it did occur to me that this is, like, the first but not the last time that she falls in love with some uh, green CGI cartoon character, because then, of course, she's in the Shrek movies. Oh, no. Later on. It's all ogre now. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. Oh, and uh, when the henchman, uh, when the henchman, the doctor or whatever, dies, uh, Dorian's offering him a cigarette. He's like, smoke up or whatever. Like, enjoy this. Oh, right. Yeah, I'm pretty sure there were multiple scenes of cigars and cigarettes throughout this movie. I swear there's something to this. Oh, he has a dream where he's, like, replaying the moment where he embarrasses himself with the old car in front of Tina, but he has, like, a fancy car, and he's, like, smoking and looking to the side, like a old-timey guy. (laughs) And that's before he gets the mask, so it's showing his, like, inner, like, desires, his, like, id the thing that will like later mm-hmm. motivate him as the mask true and that ends with like cameron diaz actually licking his uh his ear which is kind of gross because <laughs> then it turns into milo when he wakes up right yeah so i'm sure uh warner brothers would want to reboot this like they just did with the matrix like i'm sure they're like come on jim carrey come back <laughs> oh my god you came back for Dumb and Dumber, or why not this? <laughs> oh, God, that's a good point. I mean, if you're going to do Dumb and Dumber, why wouldn't you also do this? This is better than that. But I don't even know what the sequel to this would be, honestly. Yeah, they should just do it without him and do a new new people with the mask trading it around. I mean, I guess now they have Deadpool, which is basically the same thing, except, like, more <laughs> gory. They should have the mask and Howard the Duck and Deadpool have a team... <laughs> sounds great they were actually going to make a howard the duck tv show with kevin smith uh and a deadpool show uh by donald glover but uh they canceled both of those they were gonna be on Aww. hulu just too bad because it probably would have been good <laughs> yeah it sounds like it would have been good yeah this movie wasn't a flop like a lot of movies we do but um sometimes it's just interesting to talk about films <laughs> yeah exactly it was just an interesting one to talk about and i'm crediting it with this acid noir aesthetic that it's created and i do think this one like like we were saying earlier was like potentially a near miss just like how ace ventura would have definitely been horrible without jim carrey like if they had gone with the original ideas they had had for that one so yeah uh you can also almost see like sort of the seeds in both of those movies of where like jim carrey would kind of go a little south uh for a while there you know he made more serious movies he made liar liar then bruce almighty and all those movies uh, you know, where Sticked was definitely going to go grow old eventually. Uh, also the Riddler and Batman uh, forever. <laughs> Another green character. And like, oh yeah, he's just kind of doing the same thing over and over again. But yeah, I wasn't like, I guess just because I'm not the biggest Looney Tunes fan, like my overall take on this was like, there were definitely moments that I laughed more than some other bad movies we've watched but most of the time it wasn't like my exact sense of humor where he's just being like smoking ha 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 like right it's like a lot of slapsticky um mm-hmm. whereas i actually was a big fan of looney tunes and still am um but we this was also the time period where like animaniacs and tiny tunes were also like pretty huge uh on tv um so you know it was definitely in the zeitgeist that people were kind of into this like flavor i guess 
Yeah, the Warner Brothers Water Tower. And I had kind of forgotten about this, but in the comics, uh, the gore isn't just like what the mask does to other people. It's like whenever uh, whoever's wearing the mask gets injured, uh, you know, they'll actually get like realistically like their guts will spill out or whatever. And then they'll like heal. <laughs> kind of like Deadpool, I guess. But yeah, like this became an iconic character even just in the comics. So even if they hadn't made the movie, people would still remember who the mask was. Mm-hmm. And they even show, like, uh, I think they go deeper into, like, the backstory of what the mask is and, like, the demon or whatever, the god, uh, Loki or whoever is powering it up. And how, you know, if it's not contained, then it will really will become, like, this existential threat. Mm. Which, again, uh, they did this Joker arc uh, called uh, Emperor Joker where he gets, uh, you know, some sort of reality-shaping powers and basically destroys the DC universe. <laughs> and all the heroes have to, like, rally to save everything. Oh, God. Yeah, that's uh, basically all I had to say about The Mask, except, like, uh, it's definitely one of the films that me and my brother watched a ton when we were growing up. Yeah, I don't think I had seen it that much, so it was new- relatively newer to me. I do remember the smoking and the somebody stop me. <laughs> this in Wayne Wor- Wayne's World, uh, for some reason, were <laughs> movies we watched a bunch. Yeah, we do yeah. not endorse tobacco use on this podcast. <laughs> yeah, we do not endorse tobacco use. And actually, the guy uh, that who played the doctor, or Freeze, it says this is his character's name, even though I don't remember them saying that. Um, he actually died of lung cancer from smoking. So, Jeez. Yeah, so I think Jim Carrey definitely knocked this out of the park. Um, you know, uh, they saved a ton of money on special effects by, you know, hiring him instead of somebody who they would have had to, like, make more cartoony somehow. They would have had to animate his uh, eyebrows. <laughs> they would have had to have, like, uh, puppeteering on his face. <laughs> I mean, but yeah, that is the thing. Like, if they did reboot this, they could go back to the original look from the comics and make it, like, even more grotesque looking. Just, like, giant head with giant teeth. Mm-hmm. Or even just make it all CG. That'd be pretty cool. Yeah, they can do anything they want now. They can do anything they want. Oh, no, now Hollywood has become the mask. Yeah. And I'm sure there must have been some negative reviews when this first came out. But yeah, I think overall the, like, overall consensus was obviously it's a classic. But I think it could also just be weirdly divisive, maybe. If, again, you know, this isn't your type of humor. Or if Jim Carrey just annoys you. <laughs> or if you find all the gangster stuff, like, insipid. But mostly, like, I think it's known for, you know, Jim Carrey's obviously just having a great time and coming up with lots of, like, really hilarious comedic bits. Yeah, it was very much a Jim Carrey vehicle thing. <laughs> I don't know if he was, like, a coke head or not. <laughs> like, I really don't know anything about that, but... <laughs> Surprise he could me. be if he wanted. <laughs> yeah, it's possible that he might have been using drugs. <laughs> but I certainly do not want to speak ill of him since he's still pretty good. And you know, people are talking him up more recently because of the Sonic the Hedgehog movie. Uh, they say he did a really good job as Doctor Robotnik. I mean, oh my god, I don't know if I like that movie overall, but, but yeah, um, I, I definitely think they could reboot this in a positive way. Uh, I don't know who they cast to be as funny, but. Oh, maybe John Mulaney. But yeah, the whole point of the mask is, like, it could be anyone. Like, I, I think at some point, uh, kind of a gangster, like a young punk kind of type uh, gets the mask, and he obviously is a, diff- a way different version. So it's obviously, like, it is the same character, but, like, different versions of the character. Yeah, it's like a fusion in the Steven Universe Crystal Gems thing. Oh, I'm reading that he also had a crossover with Lobo, uh, who's like a Superman villain, like a alien who's like also super strong and indestructible. So I think in that one, they were both just like trying to kill each other and failing. Oh my gosh. 
Um, so after this, they made an animated series uh, with Rob Paulson, uh, who's the guy from the Animaniacs, um, as the voice of uh, Stanley Ipkiss slash The Mask. And I think they may have uh, taken some uh, inspiration from the comic for that, but uh, overall, I don't think it was probably very good. It's kind of weird. They made like a bunch of cartoons off of Jim Carrey movies. Like I think they also had a Dumb and Dumber cartoon and an Ace Ventura cartoon, all of which were probably not very good. Right. So then, of course, they did follow us up uh, eventually with a sequel, uh, which had seemingly a horrible performance by Jamie Kennedy. And I think the whole plot of that is that Jamie Kennedy has sex with somebody while he is the mask, and then the baby is born with just, like, powers inherent without wearing mm-hmm. any mask. Uh, it's oh kind gosh. of disappointing because that one has Alan Cumming in it as Loki, and I'm like, why the hell didn't you just have Alan Cumming be the mask? It would have way better than whatever this piece of shit is. Uh, so yeah, obviously that's a horrible movie that I refuse to ever watch. <laughs> It's obviously just like a super big cash-in that probably should have just gone straight to DVD instead of, I think it did come out, but it was a huge flop. Mm. Jamie Kennedy's obviously a piece of shit now, I think. This does say Jim Carrey was nominated for a Golden Globe, but also a Razzie Award for Worst New Star. Ouch. <laughs> kind of feel like the Razzies are weirdly political in ways I don't entirely understand. Hmm. All right, so any last lingering thoughts on The Mask? And did you say that in general uh, you were or weren't a fan of, like, the other uh, big Jim Carrey movies? Probably not. I didn't care for Jim Carrey that much, and I don't think I got into Ace Ventura. That's probably good, uh, which we talked about on the last episode. Mm. But then it was also, like, they made an Ace Ventura 2, and that was obviously a lot more, like, kid-friendly, like, that scraped off the rough edges or whatever. But then that one's also controversial because of the whole, like, Africa, like, weird colonialism shit. Mm. <laughs> I did like Dumb and Dumber, even though that one's also, like, pretty gross and weird. Um, I do like uh, Liar Liar. I think that was probably, like, his last really good comedy film. And then he also did some pretty interesting projects, like uh, Man on the Moon, where he plays Andy Kaufman and apparently got, like, way too into character, like, method acting, and was kind of a jerk to everyone on set because of it. Uh, and then he uh, also did Eternal Sunshine of Spotless Mind, uh, which is also really good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would say, like, for this one, even though he was kind of creepy for a moment in the mask, or for some parts of the being in the mask, he mm-hmm. uh, was still less incel-y than the Eternal Sunshine character. <laughs> he wasn't as annoying about it. I mean, I don't think that character is an incel because he had a bunch of relationships, but... Oh, that's true. I'm sorry. He was... That guy just wanted a manic pixie Jim Carrey. Right, yeah, exactly. Yeah, and I think in general, uh, Jim Carrey's a pretty interesting guy, aside from his uh, unfortunate uh, relationships, maybe. <laughs> like with Jenna McCarthy, I guess. Mm. Which was sort of like the first wave of anti-vax shit. Mm-hmm. But I think he's since recovered from that. Yeah, it's a pretty good movie, and it's aged pretty well, and the effects aren't as bad as you'd think they'd be, considering, like, even Mummy Returns, which was made way later, it's, like, horrible. Yeah, that's true. And the humor still holds up pretty well. And we should all use Freudian psychology and integrate our id with our... Super ego. ego. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) And I don't think there's anything, like, super problematic about this one. Like, no F-bombs or anything. (laughs) Right. (laughs) So we watched The Mask, and that was our (laughs) podcast about it. 
Yeah. And somebody stop me from talking about the mask. (laughs) (laughs) So for this episode of Cinemazing Chats, I've been Pablo. And Erica. And we'll talk to you on the next episode. Bye.